Well, you know, yesterday, if you were with us on uh, Shabbat morning, I began uh, talking about uh, Hazinu, uh, the Torah portion for this past this past week, uh, and uh, it, uh, and I thought that we would continue that we looked at the beginning of it, but we want to kind of understand it and make some applications. Uh, uh, to our lives. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's 43 verses long, although you know that I could be tempted to do that. Uh, but we won't read the whole thing. But we want to kind of understand what's going on, uh, what's going on in it, right? So we saw already that uh, at the beginning uh, of it, we are reminded uh, of the greatness of God and of the stability of God, and that God is the rock, and he is faithful, uh, and without injustice, and he is righteous, and, and he is upright, right? Uh, and then uh, we, uh, we also uh, read on Shabbat uh, just how uh, Israel has, like, let God down, you might say. They've acted corruptly toward him. Uh, they're not his children because of their defect, but are perverse and crooked uh, a generation. Uh, and then uh, uh, we went on to understand here that, that then God says, don't you remember how I found you? Don't you remember that, you know, the love that I have for you and you sense the heartbreak of God. In a sense, this is a lamentation of God, like God lamenting over Israel's fallenness, that this is his love. This is his child. Uh, you could say this is his love who has uh, who has uh, not been faithful, or this is his child who has gone off uh, into their own way, uh, and it breaks the heart of uh, it breaks the heart of God, uh, and uh, and it's very interesting that in verse fifteen it says, "But Yeshurun grew fat and kicked." Now Yeshurun is a very interesting uh, name. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word yashar, you know, upright, to be upright. And so it's sort of like people take it two different ways, to be honest with you. One is a, like a pet name, like a, uh, like a, a name of endearment. And uh, that's, for example, what you read in the uh, Septuagint. It, it uses uh, like beloved one, some, something along those lines. Uh, but perhaps... It is, an, a, you know, using the name as in, in, in an ironic uh, kind of way. Like the upright one, the one who I called, the one who uh, has this tremendous calling, the upright one, grew fat, grew lazy, grew to be entitled, uh, grew to take it all for granted, you know? Uh, you have grown fat, thick and sleek, forsaking God and scorning the rock of his salvation. Forsaking is one thing, but scorning the rock, like making light of God, you know, uh, not taking uh, a God seriously, right? Uh, and it goes on to talk about, you know, a number of abominations and neglecting the, and neglecting the rock who begot you. And, and, uh, and so we see in a nutshell the, uh, what the prophets spend many chapters talking about, you know, Israel's sinfulness, Israel's going after other gods. But in, but in Deuteronomy 32, we see it in a sense from the point of view of God uh, being heartbroken over it, right? 
I, in a sense, we could say that in Deuteronomy 32, it's, it's, it's like the view from the heavenlies of Israel's disobedience. See? I, and then we read, and the Lord saw this and spurned them. Spurned them, like put them aside, you might say, because of the provocation of his sons uh, and daughters. And then in verse 20, very famous, he said, I will hide my face from them. For I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. He says, I will hide my face. And so they don't stop being the chosen people. Israel never stops being the chosen people. But what happens is because of Israel's waywardness, it becomes as if they're not the chosen people. God, in a sense, hides his face. In other words, you can't tell that Israel is the called people, and they're kind of on their own. Uh, and, uh, and this becomes uh, the, uh, the chastisement. And then we read, they have made me jealous for what is not God. So I, I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And so we see that God is angry. God is angry with his people because of their waywardness, because of their sinfulness. And he will raise up nations, you know, to be the arm of his judgment. So you can see how important Deuteronomy 32 is to inform many, many years later, the prophets who received from God a message, but really based on what we read here in Deuteronomy 32. He says in verse 23, I will heap misfortunes on them. Right Then in verse 24, they shall be wasted by famine and consumed by plague and bitter destruction. And again, it's not like God desires uh, to do this, you know, but this is, it breaks God's heart that this is what, that this is what happens. Right? Uh, and then we read, beginning in verse 26, that God will only take it so far. He will only take the chastisement so far. He says, I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will remove the memory of them from men. Had I not feared the provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misjudge, lest they should say our hand is triumphant and the Lord has not done this at all. In other words, it's very interesting how God takes this, a very uh, interesting, this very interesting stand, one, one might say, with Israel and the nations, that he uses nations to chastise his people, but he holds those nations accountable. And it, it goes back to Egypt. You know, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but, but Pharaoh had a hardened heart. And so it's as if what, what God does is he allows the nation to the nations to do their thing, but he tempers it and he will not let them go so far so that ultimately they, they don't think that they are all powerful and that they are more powerful uh, than the God of Israel. He'll only allow it to go so far. And then in verse 28, referring to these nations, he says, for they are a nation lacking in counsel and, and there is no understanding in them. These nations don't know God. These nations are pagan, they are, they are godless, right? And he says, would that they were wise 
that they would understand this, that they would discern their future. In other words, their future is bleak. It is uh, uh, very interesting. They see their future as victorious as they uh, uh, chastise uh, Israel. But the reality is, from the view of the heavenlies, their future is bleak. Their future is death. But the future of Israel uh, is uh, indeed uh, life. We read, how could one chase a thousand and put 10,000 to fight unless their rock, their rock, had sold them and the Lord had given, uh, had given them up? Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and their fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters bitter. Their vine is venom of serpents and the deadly poison of cobras. Is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine in retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. So the future of the nations is all bad. But then we read, for the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drink the wine of their libation. And then in verse 39, see now that I, I am he. And this is very famous in Isaiah. Someday, uh, maybe we'll do a mini course on Deuteronomy chapter 32, because it plays a very important role throughout the entire rest of the Bible, right? See now that I, I am he. I am, by the way, you know, I am. And there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is, there is no one who can deliver from my hand. And then he goes on to say how he will render vengeance on his enemies, repay those who hate me, because he identifies those who hate him as those who hate Israel. See? And then finally, we read in verse 43, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and he will render vengeance on his adversaries, and he will atone for his land and his people. And so Israel was to sing this song and remember this song for, for time immemorial. Why? Because no matter how bad it gets, the Jewish people are always called to remember that God has not forsaken them, and the response is to not run away from God, but to run to him, to seek, uh, to seek God. And that is really what this is about. Uh, it's about we are, we are an unfaithful people, and we need to come to God and to repent. That is what godly people do. That is what called people do. Called people always desire to repent, to return to God. And this is exactly what Yeshua uh, said. You know, the first words out of the mouth of Yochanan, out of John, the immerser, and out of Yeshua, the first words that we read out of their mouths is repent, right? Uh, and it's very interesting that in, uh, in, in the Brit Harashah, in Luke chapter 13, 
we read there these words. Uh, we read, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Uh, and so we are called always uh, as God's people to always turn, uh, you know, and return, return to him. Uh, and, you know, there's a number of places uh, in the scriptures that talk about seeking God, returning to God. Uh, and let me read a couple of them. You know, it says uh, in um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, in verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. In Amos 5, 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me that you may live. See? And, and frankly, when Yeshua says, If you seek me, you'll find me, it is simply a reflection on what we read in all of these passages. And that is really what the theme here is in Deuteronomy 32 that God is never to be blamed for the bad things that happen to us, that the bad things that happen to us may happen for varieties of reasons. And like Yeshua said, no matter whether it's a natural disaster or some kind of persecution, the, the thing to do is always return to God and seek his face, because when you seek him, you will indeed find uh, him, you know? But for our people, Jeremiah said it well, I think, uh, in the second chapter uh, of uh, Jeremiah, where we read uh, here, chapter 2, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? In other words, uh, trying to find water some, by eating potato chips, you know? Uh, it doesn't make any sense, but that is indeed what, what Israel has tried to do. Uh, and that's what we're reading in Deuteronomy uh, 32. And we see this theme in other places. Another one is in Isaiah in the 30th chapter. In the 30th chapter of Isaiah, you read at the beginning some great words. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine. Right? And make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. In other words, the rebellious children, they execute a plan. It's just not what God would have them do. Right? Uh, who make an alliance but not of God's spirit, right? In order to add sin to sin. And then interesting, it says, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, 
to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Isaiah was really very, he was a great writer because what he's doing there is he's taking words from Psalm 91 that talk about seeking shelter in the Lord and saying that what you've done is you've gone to Egypt for what I provide for you. As it says in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, right? And so it is he, we read shelter and shadow and refuge of the Lord. And this is what Isaiah is saying you're finding uh, in Egypt. But going back there to the 30th chapter of Isaiah, a little farther down, it says something else uh, very much that we need to remember on the Day of Atonement, on Yom uh, Kippur. And so we, if you go down to verse 15, it says, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing doesn't that sound much like uh, uh, Matthew chapter 23? But you were not willing, right? And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. In other words, he's saying, you're saying to yourselves, you know better than me. We know what we need. And so we're going to do what we think is right. And God is saying, this is going to bring judgment uh, upon you. And then you read something in verse 18 that you hardly ever read anywhere else, where it says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The Lord, long, he wants to be gracious to you. But it's like, but you're not willing to let him be gracious to you. You just insist on going your own way. So then it says, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. So we see God, God wants to have compassion. He wants to show grace. He wants to show mercy. But indeed, we are a stiff-necked people, according to the word. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those, indeed, who long for, who long for him. And so going back to Deuteronomy 32, when we read and we remember all that God has done for us, the idea there is we're to sing that song and we're to return. We're to return to the Lord. And, uh, you know, uh, in Psalm 80, Psalm 80 is a great psalm of, it's a great prayer. Uh, not so much of repentance, but of praying to God for his grace and for his mercy in Psalm 80. Oh, give ear, uh, shepherd of Israel, thou who dost lead Joseph like a flock, thou who art enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy power and come and save us. Oh God, restore us and cause thy face to shine upon us and we will be delivered. In other words, don't hide anymore. Let us see your face shine upon us. Don't hide uh, upon us, but deliver us. Oh, Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. 
And haven't our people shed the bread of tears, or we should say eaten the bread of tears? But you see in the scriptures we read, there, there are all kinds of reasons why these things happen. But what is our response to be? Our response is to return, not to whine, and not to complain about it, but to return to God. See? And thou hast made them to drink tears in large measure, and thou dost make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause thy face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. That's a refrain here. Make your face to shine on us. Obviously, you're thinking about the ironic benediction. May, may God make his face to shine on you. May he be present. May he give you the yes. Right? Isn't that what I say to the kids? What does that mean? For his countenance to be raised means yes. Make his face to shine on us, to be present, to deliver us. I, and, uh, and so then we read at the very end of the psalm, I, uh, then in verse 18, then we shall not turn back from thee, revive us, and we will call upon thy name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us, cause thy face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. So in Deuteronomy 32, in Isaiah chapter 30, and all of those passages like in Jeremiah 29 and, and Hosea 5, seek me and you'll find me. Oh, and here in Psalm 80, oh shepherd of Israel, the one who takes care, the shepherd of Israel, the one who takes care of us. Lord, we can't find you. We're lost sheep, right? Uh, and so how important it is for us to recognize that, you know, I, this is true today as it was, as it was, uh, as it was then, you know, I, but it's very interesting right in the middle of Psalm 80, it says, it refers to Israel as a vine. It says, you did remove a vine from Egypt. Thou didst drive out the nations and did plant it. Thou didst clear the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land, right? The mountains were covered with its, uh, with its shadows, and the cedars of God with its bows. But then notice in verse 12, Why hast thou broken down its hedges, so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. In other words, the vine is all messed up. The vine needs to be restored, right? Restore us, Lord. Well, may I suggest, I don't have time to read the fifth chapter of uh, Isaiah, where Israel is called a, a trampled down vine. I, but I would suggest that in the Brit Chadashah, in a very famous place, in John chapter 15, when we read, I am the true vine, and my father is the owner of the vineyard, my father is the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me he can do nothing. And again and again it says, abide in me and I in you. 
may I suggest that Yeshua is the vine. He is, as it were, the personification of Israel. And he is the one, he is the vine placed, you might say, in the center of the vineyard so that Israel is restored, that the vineyard is restored. But we must attach ourselves to the vine. In fact, in Deuteronomy 32, he is the one who has come to make atonement for the land and for the people. But yet we still wait for him in his fullness. We know that. Uh, and, but we're called to embrace him today and to live out his calling in our lives today. And so from time immemorial, the remnant of Israel has read this and, yes, has repented and interceded for the totality of the people. And we need to see ourselves indeed as part, you know, of Israel, as the remnant of Israel, uh, a light uh, in the midst of our people. Uh, and we need to ask ourselves at this time of year to take stock of ourselves, not only as individuals and our own morality and our walk with God and so on and so forth, but us as a community. And we need to ask ourselves, have we been faithful to our calling? Have we been faithful to our vision? Have we been faithful to our mission? Or have we gone off into other things and, uh, you know, in, in a sense, moving away uh, from uh, uh, the closeness and intimacy with God uh, for other things, uh, you know? And so we need to ask ourselves, you know, our, our vision is to live out Israel's future today, at least in part, right? So we need to ask ourselves, are we moving forward in that? Are we living that way today? Have we taken the future and pulled it down, you know, into uh, today and live in that the joy unspeakable that, that uh, stays above the fray of circumstances and is not swayed by uh, politics or public opinion but that our eyes are always fixed on the rock, on the stone, uh, who is uh, Yeshua. What about our mission? What is our mission? Our mission is twofold. One is, quite clearly, to be a testimony to the Jewish community of the reality of Messiah Yeshua. We are called to be Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, to the Jewish community. That is our mission. Yes, Regardless of what else we may think, that is indeed our mission. What else is our mission? Our mission is to disciple people, is to help people to grow uh, in, their, in their faith. That is the primary things that we're called to do with Beth Messiah Congregation, right? And we do that in a lot of ways. Yes, we have a great education program, Messianic Studies Institute. All learning is for living. It's all part of discipleship, no doubt about it. But uh, it's not learning for the sake of, of uh, more learning. Uh, it's for the sake of living for the Lord and translating that into being a testimony to the community. Uh, there is no one else in our neck of the woods who have the Jewish community as their burden, as their focus, as, the, as their mission. That is our mission because we are part. It's, it's our people, Right. Uh, whether by adoption or uh, or otherwise, right? That is, uh, and, and so very important. When we look here, you know, about returning to the Lord, uh, yes, it's about ethics and morals, but it's also about, boy, we need to like 
Are we, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we serving the Lord in the calling in which he has given us? And so we need to take stock of that. And so on Yom Kippur, it's the time to do that, right? Uh, and of course, we are a community made up of individuals and of families. And so therefore, we have to ask ourselves individually uh, and in our smaller units, are we walking with the Lord? Do we have unconfessed sin? Because, you know, if we have unconfessed sin in our lives, you know, it affects everybody. It's not just affecting you. If you have sin in, in your life, you know, uh, things you're, you really need to forsake, right? It affects everybody, even if nobody else ever knows about it. It affects us all. And those are hard words. That's a, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing, but read Deuteronomy 32. It's not an easy thing. Uh, we see the broken heart of God. We don't, God. we don't want God to be brokenhearted over us, right? But we want him to rejoice over us. And so uh, may we take stock, you know, in our own lives and may we cling to that vine. And may we be that restored vine. Abiding in him and he in us. It means dwelling in him. Where do you live? Right? Where do I live? Where am I at home? Am I at home in the Lord and the things of God? That's where we grow. And that's where we fulfill our calling. And you know what happens personally when we live that way? There is satisfaction. There's satisfaction. And there's joy. And there is a, a, a sense of, of peace. It's not just, God, give me peace no matter what. But when we are faithful in that walk with God, God will indeed show up. You know? And so uh, may we, uh, as a community, during, uh, you know, in, in, this, uh, in the, these days, a lot of our comforts have been taken away from us, Right? Uh, and uh, may I suggest that our response needs to be, just like in Deuteronomy 32, as it's encouraging us, that uh, the thing to do is to think about where we come from and to return to God and to dwell in that vine. And uh, may the circumstances of these days draw us uh, back to God, because, you know, that's what Yom Kippur is about. We thank God. Yes, we have our atonement in Messiah Yeshua. He is indeed the goat that is, was sacrificed, uh, who cleanses us from our sins. And he is the scapegoat who took the blame of our sin upon himself. And so may we remember that and may we live that way. And may we confess our sins and know that God is uh, righteous and just and that he will indeed forgive us and he does indeed cleanse us but we've got to return to him. Uh, and that is what God desires. And that's why Moses wrote Deuteronomy 32, so that we would read it millennia later and be reminded that God is just and righteous and he is the rock. And that, that uh, the, the things that are happening to us is not because of God, but what he desires for us is to return. And so with that thought in mind, let's pray. Lord, uh, God, we pray, uh, uh, God, perhaps we have uh, eaten bread of tears. 
Lord, we pray that you would show up. We pray, Lord God, that uh, we would take stock of our lives. And I, I pray, Lord, that if in any way we have lost our first love, that we would, we would cultivate that return. And Lord, I pray, God, uh, you know, in the name of Yeshua, uh, that, uh, uh, that you would indeed be our first love and that we would be driven to return to you and to serve you and be filled with you and be empowered, Lord, and that we might therefore see a response and revive on our community. Lord, we intercede for our community. We pray, God, that people would be driven to their knees and indeed find you. Lord, uh, we pray that as we enter into this new year and as we confess our sins, that we might know that we're cleansed in you as we confess our sins. And now, Lord, as we enter into this uh, time of, uh, of confession, Lord, I pray, God, that, that uh, we would indeed confess our sins. And I pray, Lord, that we, that we would indeed believe and trust you, Lord, that you remove our sins, that you forgive our sins in Messiah Yeshua, and that we would live like people who's, in, in whom your face is shining. Lord, and we pray in Messiah's name.